You're listening to the American Alpine Club podcast, your guide to the climbing community. Climbing in America's wilderness areas, places like Joshua Tree, Yosemite, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, and so many other iconic climbing areas, is under threat. The bolting wars of old have been revived, but with a new inflection. It's no longer sport climbers and trad climbers duking it out. Federal land managers feel it's necessary to ban the use of fixed anchors in the face of increased usage of our public lands. But this is in conflict with climbers, who know that fixed anchors have always been allowed in wilderness. While normally climbers and land managers are partners, this disagreement over bolting in wilderness is a strong threat to our ability to work together. So what exactly is this bolting war about, and what's at stake here? In this episode, the AEC sat down with Eric Murdoch, the Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs at Access Fund, to talk about the nitty-gritty details of this critical conversation about bolting in wilderness. We also cover the Protect America's Rock Climbing Act, which will help climbers preserve climbing in wilderness as it has been historically protected, and continue to partner with land managers to conserve the public lands we all love. Since 1981, outdoor research has created trusted apparel, accessories, and equipment for you to thrive outside. Their award-winning outdoor gear is meticulously researched and tested for outdoor enthusiasts and military users around the globe. Grounded in their values of curiosity, passion, innovation, collaboration, and community, OR strives to create space for all in the outdoors. OR celebrates wins outside at every level, together with their ambassadors, nonprofit partners, and employees. Check them out at outdoorresearch.com. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. It is so great to have you on and talk all things uh, bolting in wilderness. It's going to be a pretty policy-heavy conversation, and I'm sure a lot of people are really interested in this topic right now because it's a really big deal. But can you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Hannah. Um, yeah, my name is Eric Murdoch. I'm the Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs at the Access Fund, and I'm calling in from Estes Park, Colorado, where I live uh, with my family. That's awesome. Recently, I've been having a really fun time asking every guest on the podcast, what's a moment of joy that you've experienced climbing recently? Mm. Well, recently, I don't know. The, the, usually, it's the last time I went climbing. So this weekend, I was fortunate enough to get out and do some kind of ski mountaineering in, in Rocky Mountain National Park because it's great weather and lots of snow. And, and it was one of those idyllic days where it was not too cold and not too warm and the climbing was perfect and the skiing was great. And I was, I had a great partner and uh, yeah, I had a great time this, this weekend in the park. That is so awesome. I am so jealous that you live in Estes Park and get to recreate in Rocky so much. That's amazing. I also just kind of to expand and get the listeners to know you a little bit better. What's something that you've worked on in your role with Access Fund in the last couple of years that you're really proud of? It's a good question. Yeah, so I've been with the Access Fund for almost 10 years and and I've been working on on recreation and climbing related issues for almost 25 years. But in the last couple of years, I think there's been a big change in in sort of the influence of climbers in in Washington DC. And um I'd say in the last couple of years, you know, the 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 Bears Ears proclamation that lists climbing as as uh, a valued um, and important activity is, is really important. And that was, you know, the first time that a presidential proclamation specifically acknowledged climbing. Um, that was a great project because we also got to work really closely with the Intertribal Coalition and build those relationships. So that was a great opportunity to learn a lot of things. And then and then after that, you know, the, the Dingle Act, which was a law from 2019 that, that passed and protected wilderness climbing in one particular area in Utah, in, in Emory County, the San Rafael Swell. And that was, anytime we get legislation passed, it's a big deal and it's exciting. So that's, those are, those are two examples of things that have happened in the last couple of years. Awesome. And I'm glad you brought those up because I do feel like, especially 
in the policy space, like in general, the the tendency is to focus on like what's what's the crisis right now, right? Instead of wins, but wins do happen, and it's really important to celebrate them for sure. Yeah, wins. I, I I agree. A lot of the job is 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 maybe considered on the defense, but we do we do get wins every every year or so, some some big wins, and and uh, yeah, hopefully this year we're lining ourselves up for another one. Yes, definitely. Let's hope. So the point of today's podcast is we're going to talk about the current kind of con- ongoing big conversation about land management. Cl- climbing management plans and especially climbing and bolting in wilderness. But I want to, before we even get into like, what's going on, what's the situation, I want to just step back and like talk kind of more philosophically. What is the concept of wilderness? How does it function in American society? And how is it related to climbing? Yeah, that that's a great question to start with. One that I'm, I'm really interested in. And, and I think, you know, when we think about wilderness, we, we really, the story really starts way before then, right? So the Wilderness Act was passed in 1964, but that's when a lot of really incredible um, environmental legislation was passed, right? So in the 60s and 70s, the Clean Air Act and the Wilderness Act and NEPA, all of these really important things went down. That's sort of environmental era. It's also when climbers started climbing clean and, and climbers started thinking about like, how do we... Um, cause less impact and how, how do we do our thing in a, in a lighter way? Um, but, but well before then, you know, we, we sort of set our, the, the, the country sort of set ourselves up um, for this environmental era. And that's when, you know, back in the, in the early 20th century, when, when, when parks were being developed and, and the, and roads and, 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 and railways were being developed and all these incredible giant lodges at national parks were being built you know, that was in a lot of ways the setup for wilderness and and people realized you know over time and then of course there was lots of other things that were happening DDT and, and people were realizing the chemicals were were affecting our environment and our health you know it all of those things sort of set us up for wait a second we need to pass some 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 environmental legislation and and the interesting thing about the Wilderness Act is that a lot of the proponents the early proponents of the Wilderness Act were also climbers you know they they were people like David Brower who who had a big role with the with the Alpine Club as well as the Access Fund both both organizations and people like that you know put their heads together in the in the late fifties and you know the, it, it, for folks who have been to to Grand Teton National Park they know that that's the place where a lot of people hung out and developed the Wilderness Act sitting at the base of the of the Tetons. And those people were out, you know, climbing and, and, and hiking and backpacking. And they thought of the, uh, you know, the, the drafted the Wilderness Act, a handful of people, Howard Zanheiser and a handful of the Murrays. And that was and it was really important legislation for climbing and for for our public land system. And then it sort of took us on this long journey from 1964 to today with respect to how the land agencies regard both wilderness as and recreation wilderness and climbing in wilderness. And then how do we do our, our thing with fixed anchors and, and other things? We'll talk about that later. But but wilderness, you know, was 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 deemed as sort of this necessary designation to protect these places for historic and scientific and natural values of those areas. Um, you know, and there's there's the, the Wilderness Act is pretty short. So if folks haven't read it, it's pretty, pretty quick read. It leaves a lot open, um, you know, to interpretation, but it's also really specific about some, you know, very, very literal things that, that are not allowed and things that are allowed and, and the purposes for the Wilderness Act. We can get into it depending yeah. on what you want to talk about. It. Yeah. Well, I think kind of my hope is that in this conversation, we can maybe clean up some of the misconceptions I've already heard from people like talking to climbers about this. I think some people fundamentally believe that wilderness as a concept means like absolutely untouched by humans. And I think the Wilderness Act treats it much more nuancedly than that. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that kind of understanding of the relationship between humans, machines, and that sort of thing in wilderness. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. You know, the, people base their entire careers on the Wilderness Act and interpreting the Wilderness Act. And you're, you're sort of jumping to this, this, this paragraph in the Wilderness Act that describes what's prohibited. 
you know? And, and a lot of times in, in the discussions we have now, we, we tend to jump to that. What's not allowed? Mountain bikes, you know, they're mechanical transport or what's not allowed, you know, a, a, a boom box or, or a chainsaw. That's motorized equipment. And that is true. Aircrafts, landing, you can't do that in wilderness. I mean, you're not supposed to have installations or structures, you know. Those are the, those are the things that are listed in the prohibitions. But, but we also have to remember, like, what is it for? You know, there's these, there's, there's these sort of flowery characteristics that are assigned to wilderness. There's these weird words that we're not used to, like untrammeled. We're used to the words like undeveloped and natural, solitude unconfined recreation, untrammeled. These are the, these are the characteristics that, that wilderness should be. And then there are some other um, terms in the Wilderness Act that tell us, give us some hints as to like, why are these things here? You know, for the, for the, for the general public to sort of enjoy these places, they should be preserved and they should be preserved for historic uses and recreation and science. You know, those sorts of things are the, are the, are, are the, are the purposes of, of why we have this designation. And I think the other confusion in the, in the climbing community, and it's totally understandable, is like, where is, is, is it, what is a wilderness area? Is, this, is it, it's this, is it its own thing or is it in a park? Or, you know, I hear people, you know, like Rocky Mountain National Park is like 98% wilderness. So how is that, so how does that, how do you reconcile like wilderness and forest service and wilderness and park service? Well, it's just a, de- it's a designation that sort of overlays other land management ownership. So we can have wilderness in four different types of lands. We can have wilderness on forest service land, and this is getting kind of wonky, so we don't have to go deep in this, but you can have it in forest service land, which is Department of Agriculture, and then you can have it on Department of Interior lands, which and, and the lands that you can have it on Department of Interior lands are Park Service, Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So we can have wilderness areas in any of those those land agency lands. And we do have climbing in all of those lands. So we actually have wilderness climbing in fish and wildlife lands, on fish and wildlife lands in Oklahoma. And we have um, wilderness in all the other, in BLM, Park Service, and Forest Service lands. And you know, there's a lot of climbing areas in the country. There's something like 40,000 crags, according to like Mountain Project, you know, independent crags, a lot of climbing. and. When you when you when you slice and dice it, it's really only it's a single digit. It's probably between seven and nine percent of the climbing in the United States is on wilderness is in wilderness, which is inside of Forest Service, BLM, Park Service, and Fish and Wildlife lands. And that number, I think, does a disservice to how important wilderness climbing is. Because when, when you think about what areas are in wilderness. We're talking about Yosemite, you know, much of Joshua Tree, whatever, 25 or 30 percent of the climbing in Joshua Tree, Rocky Mountain National Park, Zion, North Cascades, Denali. I mean, the list goes on. So some of the most important places in the country that, you know, much of the Sierra Nevada, you know, Whitney, Mount Russell, all of that. That's all wilderness. So so it's really, really important. And um, a lot of America's climbing history is based on areas that were later designated as wilderness or were wilderness when when those places sort of made history, like the Dawn Wall, for example. Or you could go all the way back, you know, into the the the, the exploits of, of John Muir, you know, in the late 1800s. A lot of those places in the Sierra later became designated as wilderness. Yeah. Thank you so much for all that detail um, that answered my question and more. And I also think it really set up my next question, which is like, so why are we even talking about this in the first place? What's the issue? And then what's at stake? I think what you just started telling, listing all of those climbing areas is really answer, starting to answer the what's at stake question. But first, like, what is the issue? Like, why does it even matter if climbing is in wilderness? Yeah. So, so obviously wilderness has a higher standard. So there's this entire field of, of land managers, wilderness managers, who specialize in just thinking about how to manage the wilderness so that it maintains its character. You know, we don't want to do things to sort of diminish the character of the wilderness. And by the way, wilderness also in the Wilderness Act, you know, is is is, is very specific. Like there's not supposed to be roads. It's supposed to be a certain size. It should be over 5,000 acres, you know, that kind of thing. So there's there's some like geographic constraints on, on, on what a wilderness area is. But people, you know, are, are really passionate about these places um, and what's interesting about wilderness and also our national parks and our other public lands is that 
people are inspired by these places, even if they do not visit them. So, so we have people, you know, who live in New York City, who never intend to even leave the city, who just like the fact that wilderness exists. You know, so so climbers are are are, are a group who who love to go out and actually experience it. But then there are there are people who have no intention of experiencing wilderness, but just really enjoy the fact that it exists, and it ex- it might exist um, uh, for for their their future generations. So so there's just lots of different perspectives on on wilderness and why it's important to to our country and why it's important to to different groups who want to get out in the wilderness. And I think one of the interesting things about right now in 2023 is that we have a lot of people trying to get out into onto our public lands in general, a lot more than in 1964 when the Wilderness Act was drafted, was was passed. It wasn't drafted then, it was drafted well before then. But um, so so we're in a totally different sort of paradigm um, than we than we were in 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 the in the 1960s and 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 we we have more conflicts between users you know between different types of users kind of bumping into each other everyone's kind of battling for a piece of of this really valuable real estate and then we have people also who 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 are are really ideological and and just and and love the fact that wilderness is pristine and they want to make sure that it that it main, it's maintained that way for future generations so there's lots of ideas about why wilderness is valuable and the climbing community has always really valued wilderness because um, because that's where a lot of our biggest and, and best cliffs are and wildest adventures. Um, so it's of course a really important thing to our community. And I think that um, you know we 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 might have different perspectives than other than other users, and it's important for us to sort of acknowledge um, other viewpoints. But but the but the main conflict is in in in. in it, with regard to climbing or the main confusion with regard to climbing is how do you manage, how do you manage people going into these wilderness areas and having these adventures and maybe using some climbing techniques that, that might be considered prohibited according to the wilderness act, according to some people. Now we would argue that there, that, that climbing and fixed anchors or, you know, very judicious use of fixed anchors is certainly appropriate and legitimate um, a legitimate activity in the wilderness. It's a historic activity. The Wilderness Act is clear. It's it's for historic activities for unconfined um, and primitive forms of rep- recreation. And we would say that that climbing sort of epitomizes that. You know, being in places where where no one else can can go without climbing and and having wild adventures and and, and exploring new places really speaks to the. The, the purposes of wilderness, but we use these little fixed anchors and they have been the source of debate for quite some time, really since the, the 1980s is when some, some, some people started questioning like, wait a second, are climbers allowed to do that? So that's, that's, that's kind of where it started. And we've been, the Access Fund has been working on the issue of, of fixed anchors in wilderness since, since it was formed over 30 years ago. Yeah. So what is kind of the current or... Uh, an increasingly, seemingly increasingly popular land manager perspective about fixed anchors? Yeah, that's a good question. It's across the board. You know, we have so many land managers. Um, and 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 I think in this discussion, we're, we're talking mainly about federal land managers, right? Not, not, not um, municipal and county and state ones, but federal land managers have a wide, wide um, range of different perspectives on climbing and fixed anchors and wilderness. And you know, we've one of the one of the problems is is that you know you can go to say the California Sierra Nevada and the and the land management or the considerations regarding fixed anchors are very different than if you go to Red Rocks in Nevada. I'll be in Red Rocks in, in next week climbing in the wilderness, and 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 there they have different land management, and it's a little bit different in North Cascades, and so there's a lot of confusion, and climbers often don't know am I in wilderness or not. What are the rules? Wait, why are the rules um, one way in one place and another way in another place? So there are lots of different perspectives. So, for example, like where I live in Rocky Mountain National Park, the there's a really good relationship between the park and the climbing community, and the park acknowledges that 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 climbing is an important and legitimate use, and that people need to use fixed anchors and maintain fixed anchors to get up and down off of these alpine cliffs. And you're allowed to 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 do these things, and they call it programmatically, without like a, a permit. 
And then in other places, you need a permit, like, for example, in Sequoia um, National National Park, where, where I worked long ago. In, in Yosemite National Park, you do not need a permit. In other places, fixed anchors are completely banned. So so there's there's real problems with like these different interpretations of like what is allowed and how do you manage climbing? And that's one of the reasons why we're pushing some legislation right now to sort of create some consistency. Nothing's too detailed because, you know, we all believe that each climbing area is unique and special and site specific. The geology is different. There's different opportunities for removable protection. But, but there should be some really sort of high level guidance that everyone understands. And the first thing is, are, is climbing and fixed anchors fundamentally allowed in wilderness or not? And that's, that's the discussion, the debate that, that, that we're having right now in both w- with the administration as well as in Congress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of people, at least younger climbers, this started to come on their radar when the um, Joshua Tree climbing management plan got proposed maybe a year ago. And then also the same kind of interpretation of the Wilderness Act and fixed bolts was mentioned also by the Black Canyon of the Gunnison climbing management plan. And so kind of you were just outlining they were they're interpreting fixed anchors in those versions in their draft versions right as prohibited and you were just about to start articulating kind of what access funds take is can you elaborate a little bit more yeah and i think yes some some maybe younger climbers that, that, that that's the first you know introduction to this to this issue but but this is you know groundhog day for for a lot of older climbers who saw some prohibitions in the 90s and then some some issues in the early 2000s, and then some things hit you know heat up in 2013, and now again. So so this is something that's been recurring, you know, and and people are just like, I thought we resolved that, <laughs> but but you know, we've been trying to work with the land managers to come to a place where everyone that everyone can live with, and and I think that it's interesting that when we talk with people in the Park Service and the Forest Service and the BLM. Everyone wants climbing in wilderness. I think everyone agrees this is an awesome activity be, to be doing in the wilderness. It's totally appropriate. The details are where everyone gets sort of hung up, and and that's what we're working on. And 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 for years we've been sort of organizing these these coalitions of of of, of different stakeholders, partners to these land agencies, and we bring people together and and, and talk with with conservationists and wilderness advocates and 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 climbers and guides and and try to figure out how do we how do we thread this needle and 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 create policy that really works and that was something that was actually going pretty well when we get when we look back on like what was some milestones in this issue one of the big milestones was 2013 when this when this policy came out in the park service it's called director's order 41 but we don't have to worry about the name but basically it just it just kind of directed climbers as to what the expectations are of the for, of them in wilderness and it said you know fixed anchors do not necessarily violate the wilderness act but they should be used you know occasionally and they shouldn't be con- super common but you know but they should be allowed and then the, the, the policy mentioned some other things about what you do for search and rescue and sort of how you generally look at climbing and what are some of the impacts that are associated with climbing and and that was a a, a real compromise and that 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 policy was issued in 2013 then after that there was a big um sort of uh, decade from from 2013 till now about like let's see how these national parks actually implement this thing and we watched like parks do different things you know different superintendents interpreted do 41 in different ways and and that's how we got you know a difference in 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 north cascades than than yosemite because we have we have different climbing areas different superintendents and so forth and then of course we have the forest service who has no policy at all so we have no guidance on that so there's just a lot of questions about how do you how do you do these things but uh i, I think that the big change that the, the ground the monumental shift was in um, the last in the last couple of years and that is the first time because i've been in these conversations for 20 years i did my doctoral research in joshua tree in the, in the early in the early knots in the early 2000s about climbing in wilderness and 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 then have attended loads of conferences and, and discussions on this and people never really spoke about like a prohibition people were always talking about like how do we manage this how do we regulate these things how do we do it fairly but a couple of years ago, um, a couple of folks in D.C. decided 
that fixed anchors should be considered prohibited installations. And installations is one of those big buckets that we talked about in that in uh, with respect to the Wilderness Act. So, you know, it has a list of things. These things are not allowed. Well, installations and structures are one of those buckets. And there are some folks who decided that that fixed anchors should be interpreted as prohibited installations and therefore the revisions on new wilderness plans and the revisions on climbing management plans should include that concept. And they rolled it out, the Park Service, instead of rolling it out to the whole country and saying, hey, we're thinking about making this change. What do you think? They just went for it and, and did it unilaterally and rolled out this, this really sort of radical interpretation and radical climbing policy. They rolled it out in Joshua Tree. And, um, and that's kind of where this all started. We started working on the climbing management plan and the park said, all right, you know, we're going to start this scoping. And by the way, one of the baseline assumptions is not up for debate. This is, this is how it's going to be, is that uh, fixed anchors and wilderness are prohibited. All right, let's keep going now. And we were, we were a bit shocked and, and especially people like at the Access Fund who've been working on this issue for decades were, were, were sort of a little bit surprised about about this and that's what started um this sort of new wave of policies and 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 another um as you mentioned um another policy rolled out uh, a, an environmental assessment in the black canyon of the gunnison and that also um stated that fixed anchors are installations and there's a lot of synonyms like bureaucratic jargon so when people say installations they mean prohibited installations when people say this thing called minimum requirement analysis which is actually listed in the wilderness act they mean prohibited uses so when 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 land managers and bureaucrats are trying to sort of keep everything calm instead of saying this is illegal this is prohibited people use bureaucratic jargon but but for all intents and purposes these policies are, are prohibiting fixed anchors um, in in wilderness now granted there are exceptions just like you can have a chainsaw in wilderness if you have to do fire wildfire mitigation or you can have a helicopter you know for a rescue and those are exceptions administrative exceptions to prohibitions that doesn't mean that a helicopter is allowed and the park service is trying to make climbing in those same lines so so climbing would be like a bridge or a road or a garbage dump or a fence or a or a helicopter and we, and, and we don't think that's the case we think that it's a historic activity and it's essential for unconfined recreation yeah. sorry that was a lot <laughs> there is so much but very good details thank you i guess can we kind of double down on the what's at stake question and tell me like if if yeah. say the legislation that the access fund and our part, like a bunch of partners in the climbing space are active, like, which we're going to talk about in detail later, yeah. um, doesn't pass, which is not going to happen. <laughs> um, but what would, ha what would happen? Like, what is like, what are the implications yeah. if, if bolts were banned or if they were prohibited? Yeah. And sorry. So, right. That's a great question. What's at stake. And, you know, um, We've really tried to work with the agency. So we've met with the Park Service, the Forest Service, the BLM, and we continue to do so. But but especially the, the Department of Interior, the Park Service has really dug in on this on this interpretation. And in fact, just two weeks ago, they put out um, sort of a, a briefing paper for tribal consultation. So they put out, you know, information to tribes before they make big decisions to see what they think about it. And and so we got a glimpse as to how the park service is thinking about um, climbing management and in that briefing they clearly say that 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 they think that fixed anchors are installations and require this this process um for that to provide exceptions for prohibited uses what's at stake i mean what's at stake is america's climbing history you know we've got we've got our entire climbing history wrapped up in wilderness if existing routes are are removed we we, we lose a lot of our climbing history we, what's at stake is our current recreation experience and our safety. If we lose the ability to get down off of cliffs or protect ourselves when we can't use removable protection in wilderness, we lose the ability to climb um, most of the routes in wilderness. You know, we, we, we estimate that over 90% of the climbing routes in the wilderness have some form of fixed anchor, a sling, a fixed nut, a piton, a bolt, something like that. What are other implications? Some other implications that are almost more important to the world is that we lose the ability to, if, if fixed anchors are prohibited, we lose the ability to really support, to give full-throated endorsements for wilderness 
designations. In the past, the climbing community has been super supportive. We were the original wilderness advocates. And now if this happens, it's going to be really hard to wrap, to get the climbing community to support new wilderness designations if, if, if we're blocked, if we're alienated from wilderness. And as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, it's really confusing. What's wilderness? What's national parks? What are, you know, where, where, are the, where do the lines start and where do they end? Where, and, and I think that if, if the agencies um, prohibit fixed anchors in wilderness, I think the climbing community is going to be less apt to support conservation designations in general and be like really confused and feel really, really alienated, as I mentioned, from from sort of like our public land system. So there's a lot at stake, you know, from just the the the, the route that you want to do next weekend to what is the future of environmentalism in our country? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important for people to understand. I've, I've talked to a couple, you know, a handful of recreational climbers who have expressed the idea of like, you know, uh, there should be nature first places in, in America. And like, why can't we just go back to being pure and only trad climb in wilderness and have these crazy adventures in wilderness? And it's okay. Like, we'll just like be hardos if we're going to climb in wilderness, that sort of thing. Because I think they have this concept of like, it's either sport climbing Mecca in wilderness or no climbing at all. And like, I don't think that that paradigm is really what's happening here. I think what you just established about how what do you say, 90% of the climbs in wilderness, like you have to have some fixed gear in order to do it safely. Yeah, I think when you think about it realistically, you, 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 if you want to allow climbing, you got to allow fixed anchors. And then one thing that we didn't mention is that, you know, since the Wilderness Act was passed in 1964, the land agencies have been managing climbing in a way that allows for fixed anchors. So for almost 60 years, the Park Service and the Forest Service and the BLM and Fish and Wildlife have been managing fixed anchors under the presumption that they're allowed. They need to be regulated, but they're allowed. So this is this is a a one eighty turn in 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 perspective. This would say, hey, now we're managing them under the presumption that they're prohibited, and we'll make exceptions. So we don't want a fundamental climbing tool to be prohibited. And folks who you know, I, th- of course. There are some incredible wilderness lines that 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 don't have a single piece of fixed gear. I could, you know, there's. I remember doing Charlotte Dome and Kings Canyon, and you know, and that's it's just this an unbelievable route that has not a single piece of fixed gear. It is interesting. There's a fixed line on the back to get down, but but uh, but that's but that's sort of an anomaly, you know. And 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 when you think back at like all the climbs you've done in wilderness, you know, like. How many how many repels have you done? You know, and how many how many times have you have you seen a, a, a pin or a sling around a tree or or something that's just essential essential for navigating complex terrain? So I think it's it's kind of unrealistic to think that you know all climbing in wilderness could be free of all fixed anchors at this point in time. Yeah, and absolutely, I think you're like really pointing to like climber safety specifically, but also, am I correct in thinking that sometimes fixed anchors? are, you know, eco- like ecologically very helpful in the sense that you're not wrapping off a tree and you're not like creating more uh, erosion because of the way the, where you're choosing to set up other types of anchors. Yeah, totally. Cl- yeah. Fixed anchors can certainly be used to protect natural resources. They can sort of keep people away from cultural resources. They can protect trees. In fact, in Joshua Tree, there was a super a policy, a superintendent's compendium that required climbers to not use vegetation and instead replace that with fixed anchors. And 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 there are a couple routes, like for folks who have spent a lot of time in Joshua Tree, room to Room to Shroom, I think the descent off that um, was changed from a from a tree to to two to two bolts to protect the tree on the top of the cliff. And certainly, it's been used to protect bats. Um, we've moved anchors beneath the caves that that, that that with roosting bats. We've used them to protect birds. We've used them prote- to protect climbing areas from erosion. So there are uses, but but the fundamental use of of, of fixed anchors is to allow climbers to safely get up and down on a technical terrain and, and, and really experience wilderness. And really there's not a lot of environmental impacts specifically associated with the, with the fixed anchor itself. The environmental impacts are the, all the things around it. How many people are being attracted to the route, you know, and what sorts of impacts are they creating, both social impacts, crowding, as well as environmental impacts like erosion. Okay. So I think this leads us to the point where we can start talking about what Access Fund and other people in this community are hoping to do about it. So can you tell us about 
where the Park Act come, came from and what it's all about. Yeah. So, you know, so as I mentioned, you know, we really tried to work with the agencies first and, and be like, look, it would be good if you spoke with your partners. You know, we have memorandums of understanding with these agencies. We've been longtime partners. And we, we of course, always exhaust those relations with those, those discussions. We still have good relationships with those agencies. But there is a point in time, and this is like part of our democratic system, where the government, the land agencies in this case, are so wrapped up in, in, in bureaucracy or these policies where they can't, where they've wrapped themselves into a pretzel and they can't figure out how to get out of it. How do they get out of this, this thing, allow climbing and, 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 and not consider fixed anchors as, as prohibited installations? And that is the perfect setup for legislation. That's when Congress should step in and say, look, we all want to get to the same place. As, as, as the agencies, but instead of taking a super bureaucratic, super expensive, imagine if you had to go, imagine if the, the park service had to go and analyze every single fixed anchor in wilderness and do a lengthy bureaucratic process to, to figure out, should we make an exception of this one or should we not? You know, everyone, th that's a really expensive process. It takes a lot of time and it's based on, you know, a, a concept that, that, that we don't believe is actually is realistic or, 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 or true to the spirit of the Wilderness Act. So this is a great time for Congress to step in and say, hey, we want to help the American public get to, get to where they should be. We want to make sure that climbing is allowed. We want to make sure that fixed anchors can be used in the right way, appropriately and judiciously. And, and we want to avoid creating a rift between the conservation and recreation communities because we've all been really enjoying that relationship. That's how we got the Great America's Outdoor Act passed. That's how we got the Dingle Pass. That's how we got a lot of these modern conservation laws over the finish line. So, so this bill really started, the history of this thing really started several years back and several, several Congresses ago. And the, the concept um, was just that we, first of all, we didn't know that the Park Service was going to propose that that fixed anchors, that they thought fixed anchors were prohibited installations because they didn't think that back in 2016, 2017. Back then, the big problem was we have most, a lot of our climbing and wilderness is in Forest Service wilderness and the Forest Service has no national level guidance. So we just, we just wanted to create national level guidance. The Forest Service had tried about three times to draft up guidance. They squandered hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars trying to create this guidance. All of that paperwork went into the garbage and we're like, all right, we've got to get this done. We don't want to waste taxpayer dollars. We don't want to have to go into every single forest and, and reinvent the wheel with, with, with new plans and, and keep explaining to people what these things are. So we need some guidance. So that was the original concept was a, a law that would require that the Forest Service create guidance. Well, years later, as you mentioned, when we saw what happened in Joshua Tree, we had this bill sort of floating around in Congress. It was actually part of this larger package. It became part of a larger package called the America's Outdoor Recreation Act, which was just in the Senate at the time. But then we realized, wait a second, we need a bill that addresses the Park Service and the BLM and U.S. Fish and Wildlife because the Department of Interior is starting to interpret fixed anchors in a different way than they did before. So that got us moving in that direction. And that gradually evolved into this standalone bill that was introduced in the House called the Protecting America's Rock Climbing Act. And it's sponsored by Congressman Curtis out of Utah and Congressman Nagoose, who's actually my representative out of, out of the Front Range of Colorado. And that bill requires the the agencies to establish guidance for, for for wilderness climbing and to allow, not prohibit, fixed anchor use, maintenance, and placement in accordance with the Wilderness Act. So that's not saying that people should go out and, and bolt the place. It's saying that that the agencies should just keep doing what they're doing. Regulate climbing, regulate fixed anchors. Maybe some of these places require permits, some do not but don't fundamentally consider them prohibited installations. So hold the status quo. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a really good thing to underscore is that this is about, honestly, just clarifying kind of an already understood um, understanding of the way that climbing functions within wilderness and just making it perfectly crystal clear in law so that it's not just an understanding that people have, but it's something that people have to like implement across the country. Yeah, you put it you put it way better than me, right? So it's 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 legislating what 
the agencies have been managing for, for almost 60 years. Exactly. There's confusion about it. The government has spent millions of dollars, certainly, on this issue. All of the agencies have, have grappled with these things. I mean, I, I've worked on so many climbing management plans and, and, and other land management plans that, were in, that ended up in the garbage. You know, they never get finalized. And we, we just need some clarity. The climbing community needs some clarity. And we need to make sure that that the future that future climbing future generations of climbers are going to be able to experience the diamond and and El Cap and people are going to be doing harder and harder things things that we think are impossible so we need to maintain that ability to explore new terrain and really experience wilderness as it was intended Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all, like another way to say that is I think what Chris Winter said at the hearing in front of Congress a week or two ago, which was like, this is not an amendment of the Wilderness Act. It's just defending what the Wilderness Act says, essentially, which I think is good to know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the Park Service testified um, sort of against this, the, the Park Act. And, and they said this is this this amounts to a de facto amendment of the wilderness, which really doesn't make much sense to, to a lot of legal scholars, but also the Park Service itself has been managing the climbing fixed anchors as allowable for the last 60 years. So are they saying that they just did it wrong for 60 years or what is going on? So that's that's why it was so important for Chris to say, you know, this bill absolutely does not make any amendments to the Wilderness Act. It, it, it just clarifies what's allowed and provides land managers with the tools they need to get to work and manage climbing in a way that's sustainable. Okay. I'd love to uh, have your thoughts on helping us demystify the process of like, like, okay, there's this bill that exists. What's happening to it? What's going to happen next? How does it even go across the finish line and become real law? Like maybe not like a high school history lesson of how Congress works, but just like in a practical level, like what, what is Access Fund doing in terms of the Park Act? I mean, so the first thing, right, so we, we had this idea, we had a problem, right? And we first, the first thing that you got to do, like I keep saying, is is you need to work with the agencies because no one in Congress is going to introduce legislation if if the agencies can can remedy the problem. They want to do that first. So so first we exhausted all of those, those, those sort of administrative fixes, you know, and that's really important because you got to go to these bosses, you know, these senators, Congress people and say, look, I spoke with every, I spoke with the president's office and, and, and we are in a complete gridlock and it's time for you all to, to take action. So that's the first thing, convincing people that this is an issue. And, and way back when we talked with, there's uh, Senator Cantwell and Murkowski used to run the Senate Energy and Natural Res- uh, Resources Committee in the Senate. And they were the ones that first were thought about several years ago, thought, man, we gotta, we got to come up with some some recreation, a, rec- a package of recreation bills that sort of clarify some things, help inspire people, help keep help 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 keep recreation moving along, keep the recreation economy chugging along, you know, update things to, to modern era, that kind of. So there, that, that's when those ideas were, were, were bounced around. So we helped sort of help the, the, the senators and their staff to draft up some legislation and put it into packages. Yeah. So you got to, you got to find some champions. That's the first thing, you know, when you, you have to find some people who, who, who believe in, in, in your, in your idea and, and draft up some legislation and then get that introduced into both the Senate and the house of representatives. And, and so we have the park act the the protecting America's rock climbing act introduced in the house. And then what happens next? Well, we, we had that hearing two weeks ago. So the committee, in, in this case, it was a subcommittee on, on, on public lands meets and people testify and the, and the Congress people listen. And, and, and then there's going to be a markup. So they're going to be like, all right, let's look at this thing again. And they'll, they'll edit the, the bill and then hopefully it'll move forward and, and get voted out of committee and then go to a floor vote where all of the the congressional members, the Congress people in, in the House, get to vote for it, and the same thing on the Senate. And then if it passes both chambers and kind of lines up, gets reconciled, then it moves to the president's desk, and 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 hopefully he'll sign it. So that's the the general the general path. But obviously, there are tons of hurdles, and there are tons of unknowns, and 
getting any piece of legislation over the finish line is super hard. So, you know, we're, we're throwing everything we got at it, but it's, there's just, there's a million ways that your, your bill can get derailed. And, and many of those ways have nothing to do with, with, with climbing or, 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 or anything. It has to do with politics. Yeah, exactly. I, I know we're going to talk about kind of what an everyday climber could do in order to support the Park Act. At the end, um, I definitely want to leave people with an action to take if they want. But I also just kind of wanted to bring us full circle back to something you said at the very beginning of our conversation. This is a first of its kind kind of bill. It's like a climbing only bill. It's incredible. What does that say about climbing and its popularity or reach? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's the first standalone bill. We've never had a bill that just addresses climbing. We've had climbing and bills and these presidential proclamations, but to have a bill that sort of represents the climbing community's interest that stands alone is 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 really incredible, and it shows shows that that you know the climbing community is growing up. It shows that the climbing community is diverse. It shows that climbing speaks to sort of the sensibilities of, of, of Main Street America. You know, you talk to people on Capitol Hill and everyone knows Tommy Caldwell and Alex Hunold. And, and, and frankly, we've been there so much. They, 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 you know, people know the climbers are in town, you know, and they look forward to our conversations. In addition, a lot of staffers now are climbers. So congressional staffers. So you'll, you'll go to an office and folks working for the senator or the congressperson there, they might be climbers. You know, we met with Brenda Mallory, who's who's in charge of the Council on Environmental Quality, basically the president's advisory uh, committee on, on on the environment, and she has a really important role. And and she she told us that her daughter is a climber. You know, Secretary Holland, the, the Secretary of the Interior, uh, Secretary of Interior's brother is a climber. I mean, people, there are just so many climbers on Capitol Hill now. So it's 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 not really surprising that we've done this. It's 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 taken a long time for me personally. Sort of, I've been thinking about these issues and 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 doing research and advocacy for for so long. It is amazing that we have this bill in play, and there's a real chance that it could get passed. That that you know we can we can say you know the reason why we're allowed to to use these fixed anchors is because it's the law. That, that that's going to be that could be an amazing moment. I really hope that we can all say that we're following the law. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what can normal climbers do in order to help this make that a reality? So right now, I mean, climbers are making it a reality. So so here's an example. So we've got these things. We've got the, the Protecting America's Rock Climbing Act in the House. But on the Senate side, there's something similar in that a, a similar section in that America's Outdoor Recreation Act. And we're really trying to push for Senator Hickenlooper to be the champion for that. And the reason why is he's on the right committee and and he's he's a, he's he's a senator of the state where we have the Black Canyon of the Gunnison and we have, you know, a large portion of the climbing industry is based here and and Senator Hickenlooper is a serious champion for recreation. So he's a great fit and 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 you know, we we mounted a, a specific campaign. We put out an action alert specifically asking Colorado climbers to write sick Senator Hickenlooper for, to help them out, to help us out, and to and to do something and to push you know these ideas and and turn them into legislation. And he's standing up um, to be a champion. He just wrote yesterday this incredible letter. I don't know if you saw Senator Hickenlooper's press release from yesterday. It said the fixed anchors must stay. That's the title of the press release. And it's this incredible press release about how he believes that this is really important for Colorado and for inspiring future conservationists. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, but that was a result of hundreds of letters being submitted to Senator Hickenlooper. And then we we also have been doing a national campaign where we've had thousands of letters being sent to hundreds of congressional members. So we have climbers all over the country who are writing these letters. These are so this is what's moving this forward. You know, we've got climbers who are who are writing these really interesting stories to their congressional members and saying this is something that's important to me, and and it's 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 really it's really outstanding the way the climbing community is stepping up because when this when these bills end up getting those floor votes that I mentioned where the whole Senate or the whole House votes on the bill, they need to know. I mean, they might only know about this bill because some random climber in Ohio writes their their congressman and says. Hey, I really care about this. This is important to me. I travel to wilderness areas to climb and it's making me a healthier, you know, better person and, and conservationist or whatever. So yeah, the climbing community, this is the opportunity for the climbing community to step up 
write their representatives and stay on it. And we've had help from professional climbers, you know, Chris Schulte and Colette from, um, from, from Black Diamond and Madeline Sorkin did this incredible video, sort of making an appeal to climbers to take action. And Tommy Caldwell has been, you know, a great partner for, for so long and has helps out wherever he can, you know? So, so we're, you know, we're asking, climbing industry to step up and they and, and various companies like La Sportiva, Edelrid, Black Diamond, REI, they all stepped up and signed letters of support. So we're getting help from industry. We're getting help from professional climbers. We're getting help from mountain guides and then the general climbing community. All those folks are stepping up. And then the Access Fund is just throwing everything we got at this. And we hired, you know, a consultant in DC and we're taking this really seriously. So it's, it's, it's taking a, a lot of different people and a lot of different sort of strategies and tactics to make this happen. That is super inspiring. Honestly, I love uh, hearing all of those details of the numbers and people reaching out and that Hickenlooper is, is in because that's really important next step. Okay. Any last thoughts that you want to leave us with? Well, I think whether you go climbing in the wilderness or not, if you're a climber, you really should consider doing a little advocacy, writing your writing your your representative, talking with other climbers, supporting, you know, climbing organizations like the Access Fund and the Alpine Club. And the reason why is this, as we mentioned before, has cascading repercussions far, far larger than just wilderness areas. You know, this has an impact on the future of conservation initiatives in the country. And it also, for the climbing community, has repercussions for non-wilderness management because there's not a lot of climbing policy out there. And often when someone in, you know, a land manager managing a state park in Kentucky, or that's not a great example, but, you know, some some municipal area in, in, in Ohio or someplace in Washington, they're looking around for help. They're looking for climbing policy. And if they see policy that says fixed anchors or prohibited installations, that basically means that these things are, are, are not good things and they might not want to have them on their lands. And I think that we see this often, um, you know, that that climbing policy dealing with one place often gets applied to another place that are not analogous. They're not the same land designation. They're not the same land agency, but that's just the way it works. So so all climbers have a lot of skin in the game and we want to make sure that all climbing policy is fair, common sense, sustainable. And that's why this is really important. So when we're talking about the most protected areas in the country, wilderness areas, they have a huge influence on, on all of our climbing areas. Thank you so much, Eric, for first of all, making such a complicated topic, very easy to understand. I feel like I <laughs> am so in the know and I bet our listeners now fully understand what's going on and why this is so important to be involved in. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for so much for your work on the Park Act. All the, our climbers are very appreciative. Thanks for chatting today. Thanks for having, for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Support the Protect America's Rock Climbing Act, or PARC Act, by heading over to Access Fund's website, accessfund.org. In five minutes, you can write your lawmakers and get them to be a champion of climbing and uphold the meaning of the Wilderness Act with the PARC Act. Your voice matters. Send it with climbers all over the country by adding your voice to this critical fight. This podcast is presented by Outdoor Research. Today's show was hosted by me, Hannah Provo, and produced by Sierra McGivney and Shane Johnson. If you want to support work like this, you can help the AAC serve the entire climbing community through our Climb United work, policy and education work, and so much more. Help us make it happen at AmericanAlpineClub.org donate.